0: Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com.
1: Get a free audiobook download at www.audiblechild.com slash outnowpodcast.
0: Over 150,000 titles to choose from for your Android, iPhone, Kindle, or MP3 player.
1: This week on Out Now with Aaron and Abe, we're talking Boyhood, Snowpiercer, and a whole bunch of other small films.
0: 12 years in the making.
1: Piercing that snow.
0: Piercing something. What? Wait a minute, I forgot my introduction. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is Abe hey, Konichiwa or Kabanwa. Out Now is a film podcast Abe and I discussing new movies weekly. However, every now and then we like to have these special bonus episodes, whether it be one of our fun commentaries or something else. And this is something else. Woohoo! Despite Abe's desire to talk planes, fire, and rescue, and my desire to go deep inside the purge anarchy, we decided, why not have more of an indie blowout episode? So we're going to talk about a couple, a couple films in the, the old art house theaters and spreading slowly and other movies as well. We're going to talk about Boyhood, Snowpiercer, and then whatever else we also might have seen. And joining us to discuss said movies, we have from Fast Film Reviews, we watched him grow from an amateur reviewer into a full-grown podcast guest. It's Mark Hovind. Hi, everyone. Yeah. And- and from the Gazette newspapers, he just finished the last of his protein bars. It's Jonathan Van Dyke. What up? You to be careful what those protein bars are made of, man. Chinese newspapers
1: like up. The Simpsons.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Which episode is that? What what's that? That's
1: one been... where uh, Homer starts to work out and he climbs Mount Springfield or something.
0: <laughs> That's right. Yeah, the uh, power like the it's, uh, like, it's power like power, power sauce. Yeah. <laughs> and like it's Brendan Fraser's that we're gonna do another Simpson tangent. On this one already. <laughs> <laughs> Uh go. so we gone. <laughs> yeah, but we, we gone. Because last time that we had that happened it was a three minute blooper. Um <laughs> So yeah, how, how are you guys doing tonight? <laughs> doing
2: good. Really yeah. glad to be discussing these films.
0: Great. Great. A few announcement stuff before we get started here. Uh big ones actually. Uh first off, Comic Con is this week. From the time of this recording, Comic Con is when this comes out. I'll be headed down there. How did down to San Diego to go to Comic Con. And with nice. that, um, there is a meetup happening. Um, this is brought up by uh, a friend of the show and guest last week, Tyler Smith, from the Battleship Retention podcast. He and and David, who co-hosts the podcast with him, they are having a great podcast meetup, as they've titled it, at San Diego Comic-Con. This is on Thursday. Anyone that happens to be going to Comic-Con that listens to this podcast should, you know, meet up with us at, on Thursday. Uh, July 24th, uh, starting at 8 p.m., at the Dublin Square at... 554 Fourth Avenue in San Diego in the Gaslamp District down there. Um, I will be there. Uh, the Battleship Pretension podcast will be there along with other podcasts, including the Criterion Cast, Warner Archive, the Telververse, Screamcast, and more than one lesson. So just a lot of, a lot of fun movie bloggers hanging out at a bar. So if you feel like joining up, you know, go, feel free, go for it. You know, another thing with Comic Con, actually, um, I know, a friend of the show, Alan Aguilera is going to be there as well. Um, and so we're probably going to record, I think we've done it two years in a row now. We're probably going to record our Comic Con recap. At some point, as well, to go over all the latest news and fun slash terrible waiting times in line that we had together.
1: <laughs> it's not terrible. It's it's a fun experience if you're with somebody. Right? Oh,
0: for sure. That's yeah. 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 Uh, let's see what else. Abe, I know you like these. uh... Mom movie report. Uh, she oh liked, yeah. She really liked Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. All right. And Dad movie report. He really liked Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. He really likes. He really likes Snowpiercer. He really liked the Raid Two and he was a big fan of Alan Partridge with Steve Coogan.
1: We're gonna we're gonna have these special episodes recorded sometime. Maybe. Like, they're gonna be like two minute long episodes. It's gonna be fantastic.
0: I know you like getting an update on what my parents like. <laughs> movies, so <laughs> they were like their
1: original listeners. I, I always appreciate them.
0: <laughs> Let's see another thing. Happy birthday to Russ Russell Latham over Woo! at HHWLOD. He is largely responsible for our show being a part of the LOD network. So happy birthday to him. For the rest. You can feel free to catch him over on Long Box of Doom and on the Wonky Dead TV podcast. Lastly, iTunes reviews and ratings. Good to get those. Helps other people find our show. Helps out our show in general. And makes Abe stop crying at nights.
1: Yeah, most nights. For the most part, I'm kind of like, you know, just knocked out. But yeah, some nights
0: I cry because we don't have enough iTunes reviews. So please, help me stop that. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> All right. Let's see. Let's move on here. Let's get to uh, some Out Now Quickies real quick. Jim. Each week on Out Now, we discuss some main movies of the week. But we also have other movies that we've seen in the week. So we have a segment called Out Quickies. Turn right? And it's just gonna be me this week because I've seen all the new releases <laughs> that we're not gonna be talking about for. How kind of many new weeks. releases were there? There, Probably there the were fiscal. three. There were three new releases, as well as two um, other releases that kind of came out in limited release, which we'll get to later. But I'll go over the three new ones because why not? Um, first up, planes, fire, and rescue. This is of course the. I think sequel. there's a colon
1: in there somewhere, Ernst.
0: God. <laughs> <laughs> planes colon. Fire and I'm glad that this is the new rule of our our show. We have to we have to pronounce every. It's got to be perfect, Mark. If there's an ellipsis, a question mark, whatever, it needs to be spelled out in our fire and rescue. Yeah. Okay. Planes colon fire ampersand rescue came out. Uh, this is of course the follow up to the much loved. That's not a true statement. Um, Disney film Planes from last year. Um, further confusing audiences as to how a world that consists entirely of automotive transportation works. Um, this movie I never saw planes putting that out there. This movie it's purely for kids. Like there's no reason to hate this movie in my my opinion just because it's it just doesn't it's not trying to be for me. And sure there are a lot of animated films that are for all ages uh, like How to Train Your Dragons I think a good call right there. But Planes Fire, coal and, fire and Rescue it's just it's colorful it's colorful fun for eighty eighty three minutes and then it ends like that's that's what it is at least so it's, 80 minutes it's a hard movie to hate it's a hard movie to hate yeah you have to go out of your way to like write about like, like why so you...
2: it would be like a movie like Turbo it's just you know for kids <laughs>
0: <laughs> there's lessons in Turbo that I do not appreciate at all take steroids <laughs> and you'll be the winner that's that's the lesson of Turbo well, that's I
1: mean,
0: what it, it is that's getting stuck,
1: stuck into the nos pipe. <laughs> Try I, I knew you the,
0: hated that movie and so to, I just I decided to try to rid me on the turbo <laughs> Planes does have you like if if you really want to go into it, play Remember like how How to Train Your Dragon like um what's his name? What's the kid's name?
1: Uh Jay Baruchel. Thank you. <laughs> hiccup, Hiccup. Hiccup, yeah. thank you. Yeah.
0: Hiccup, you know, sac- like he makes a sacrifice and saves the whole village and loses a leg because of it.
3: Yeah. Right.
0: In Planes a sacrifice is made. There's no loss of anything, and you get all your dreams come true. That's that's Aww. the lesson. That's Aww. the lesson. Planes well, well, I mean, like, and fire
1: Everyone loves James Cook. You,
0: not just like the one thing that he wanted happens. Everything he wanted happens.
1: It's, wow. It's, it's I perfect. mean, were, were they looking for like a new oil filter for so, some plane or something? And it's like without it, he's gonna die. And then at the end, they find one like in the storage unit or something.
0: Kind of. That's part of it. <laughs> I have to
1: go see this, or we gotta type full on spoilers next episode.
0: Yeah, the out and nights on planes, cold fire. <laughs>
1: We
2: haven't had one in
0: a while. We haven't. Yeah, that yeah. plane's really deserved. Mark, do you have something to say? Sorry.
2: Oh, just, uh, so the moral of the story is life is easy. Yeah, that's yeah, that's what it is. Oh, is. Let's move on from this. Um, yeah, <laughs> let's... I also saw
0: The Purge Anarchy. This is, of course, the sequel to The Purge. And, sorry, Abe, The Purge, I, colon, I Anarchy. To it
1: up <laughs> I knew that there was one in there. Yeah. I, I didn't want to bother you. I
0: saw The Purge, colon, Anarchy. That sounds like a terrible, like, punishment already. Um... Yeah. This movie, so the per the first Purge was on my worst of list from last year because I really just was not a fan of that movie, both because it squandered its potential based on the premise and because it just was a badly acted movie. This one technically delivers on what you'd want from a move- from a movie with the premise such as the Purge, but with that said, still not a very good movie. Uh, I could say Frank Grillo, who I know Abe and I we both like, he's he's solid in it, like he does what he can, um, but it's. It's just forgettable. Like there's just nothing going on in it that really makes it all that interesting. And any theme that comes across in a world where crime is legal for a night, it just it's like yeah, we were kind of addressing this, but also here's you know people get everyone's a murderer and a rapist when this happens. There's no other <laughs> nothing else going on in, in this so world they, where they all crimes. So they capitalize on, on what they may have. I for, I feel like it's holding back more um from what it could be doing
1: for for the purge anarchy three.
0: What, another weird thing is that it's that it's called the purge anarchy. And it's like, I don't know what kind of anarchy exists in a world it's, where, it's <laughs> where the crime is legal. Like, it's, <laughs> it seems like it's the exact opposite of anarchy. But uh, <laughs> It'd be a better title for the third movie, which will likely happen, given the money that the Purge Anarchy, Cole Anarchy, made this weekend. But, you know, whatever. So, you know, another chance, I guess, next year to see where this, the endless possibilities for this premise can go.
1: Yeah, we'll see what happens.
0: <laughs> Lastly, I saw sex tape. Woo! I don't even Jason Seagulls, butt. I don't even want to. Go, and Cameron Diaz's butt. I don't even want to go too much into this movie. <laughs> besides saying it's the worst thing I've seen this year, and I don't think I, it'd be very hard for me to see a movie that can outrank Sex Tape in terms wow. of just
2: being wow. bad.
1: I mean, this gives me great solace in saying that. So it, probably it, Labor Day was better than Sex Tape.
2: So Sex Tape is not is not the light frothy Doris Day Rock Hudson. Comedy that we were promised. No, it wasn't that. <laughs> okay. Oh. I, I I was so misled by the trailer.
0: Oh man, that is a misleading. oh no, yeah, it's just um, it's just horrible. It's just it was a horrible experience.
1: Not even it's, funny, huh?
0: But, well, that's that's the prime goal of a movie like Sex Tape, and when you're not laughing in a comedy, there's not much else to do. Eh? <laughs> so I've heard that there were some good
1: good appearances from like Rob
0: Gordry, but
1: eh, probably
2: not everything. Everything well, kind of sucked. I did hear actually Rob Loeb does some funny stuff in it, though.
0: Rob, yes. Rob Lowe appears in, like, a baffling performance that plays off like, all a the baffling things... Performance. <laughs> all the wasn't... things, All the things that he was, like, known as, like, being a bad boy for, he, like, they, like, bring up in this movie. Right, like, it, right. It just, it just felt... For me, it felt like... It felt more awkward than anything. It's like, what's happened? I was sitting with my friend Scooter, who likes everything, as we've hey, established Scooter. on previous episodes. He <laughs> hated it, too. Like, he was just like, no. Why? Why is this happening? <laughs> the, the, like, the part involving Rob Lowe... They, like, have to go to his house because he has an iPad that has the sex tape on it. Right. And they have to, like, try to find the iPad. And it, and this is, like, just a segment of the movie. It feels like that segment lasts for nine hours of them in Rob Lowe's house. <laughs> nine hours. <laughs> like, I'm serious. Just, it, to... It's not even the climax of the film, is it? No, it's not. It, like, it's just in the middle of the movie. And it's like, are we still in this house? It just goes on forever. I
1: mean, <laughs> Rob Lowe's got a huge mansion.
0: He does. Like, yeah. It's it's just awful. It's an awful thing.
1: I will not seek that out.
0: Yeah, you don't you don't need to. Anyway, right. ugh, really depressing myself before we get to the movie. <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: perk up, man. Perk up. We got two
0: two very good independent films coming out. All right. Well, let's do that then. Let's get to our first review then for the film,
4: Boyhood. New student joining us today. Hey, dude. Welcome to the suck.
3: Ah! Mom. So have you been partying?
0: Oh, okay. All right, so that should have been some of the trailer for Boyhood. This is, this is Boyhood is a, it's more, it was a side project, basically, that writer-director Richard Linklater and a handful of actors have been working on for 12 years, only to have now got it ready for everyone to see. The film follows a young boy named Mason, played by Eller Coltrane, from the age of six to the age of 18 as he grows up and deals with his family, change, drama, girls, and pretty much everything else that comes with the life of being a boy growing up. Um, with that in mind, let's uh, start with John. John, what did you think of Boyhood? Well, this is definitely uh,
5: the summer movie I was looking forward to most. Uh, I'm an unabashed Linklider fan. Uh, Waking Life is one of my favorites. I like all the before Sunset, Sunrise, Midnight trilogy movies, and uh I'll I'll admit that I was hook line and sinker for the gimmick that of course if done correctly uh is elevated to uh you know above a gimmick and so uh I'd say the four performances of the the main actors which is uh which includes Linklater's daughter <laughs> as the as the daughter to our boy in boyhood
0: uh Eye well, Linklater there we go research
5: it was just one name but yeah i got it (laughs) come on phantom you should know (laughs) but no anyway uh this movie i thought was it was interesting i saw it at the landmark where they go up in front of the audience and do their little introduction spiel and everybody kind of groaned when it was like this is two hours and 55 minutes
0: and we're all like oh i like the the people that go to the landmark theater in la don't know how long the movies are going to (laughs) see. Whatever, um, but you know what, this is the fastest,
5: unlike uh, maybe Transformers, uh, this is actually the fastest three hours you could see at a, a movie theater. I think the the achievement here, more than anything, is kind of a, a sentimental Seinfeld effect. In, in essence, nothing happens, but everything happens, and uh, there's just this, there's something that drives the movie forward over and over again, uh, maybe beyond the passage of time, that's just very impressive, and I I just enjoyed this movie a ton. Mark?
2: Yeah, I I love this film. Um I mean this is a film that's 3 hours and it's makes sense that it's 3 hours in you know in a way that Transformers doesn't and it's it it just flies by and it, it sort of deceptively feels aimless because it follows the path of you know, it, it's interesting because the story is called Boyhood However, it almost could be called girlhood or motherhood or fatherhood because we follow the paths of all of these people in this family. And although you probably get a little bit more of the, of the boy, um, you do see a, an evolution of these different characters. And it's so epic in its scope because of the way that Linkletter has decided to film it um, over the span of 12 years and use the same actors. And that gives the narrative an added depth um, that, you know, most films covering this sort of span would not have. And, you know, he doesn't waste a single frame of film. I mean, there are moments, that little vignettes that play out throughout the course of this film. And each one, I was think I, I just saw the film actually a few hours ago, so I'm still kind of trying to process it. But there are little vignettes that each one of these pieces is is so memorable. And it like, you know, it, it makes you smile in the way that he's captured sort of the way a, person develops from childhood into adolescence um and it essentially i believe it it it's from when he's six years old until about the age of 18 and so you see this actor and it's it, in fact it's if you were going to cast the film and have a young person and then an older person and play it at different parts i don't even know if you would have picked this actor because he he changes even throughout the course of the film in a way that sometimes almost made me think, like, well, is this the same actor? I mean, he when he's sort of young, at one point he looks a little bit heavier, and then as he gets older, he gets quite skinny, and so he doesn't like a real person would change, and and you can even sort of see these development developmental changes in like Patricia Ar- Arquette and uh, Ethan Hawke, not quite as pronounced as the Sun. but but all of those uh, things that happen in the narrative really add weight to this story and i just loved it i i think it's one of the best films of the year if if not the best i mean i'm still you know we the year is not over but it, it's definitely in the running hey.
1: this is a lovely film all around I, I basically have to echo the sentiments of uh john and and mark uh, primarily because this is a film that really hit me hard after um Patricia Arquette has this really nice scene with with the actor toward the end of the the movie and um, that scene hit me hard and then also when he goes away to college and when I was listening or when I was thinking back to my thoughts after the film, um, it's just this really beautiful film about this boy growing up and one of the things that I really appreciate about it is they give you sequences and they give you tells of like what time it is or or what year it is by the music selection or what's going on with the the boys uh, in question. Um, The boy in question um, in the opening scene where he's playing like a Nintendo Wii or a Game Boy Pocket or something like that. Um, But one of the things that I really loved about it is that it just focuses on this boy. I mean, I do agree that they kind of go into the other characters a little bit. But uh, I I say that primarily because of one scene in which uh, Patricia Arquette is saying something like, hey, you know, like we had to move because... I'm the one that get whatever with uh, her ex-husband. It's like, they don't really delve into that other than that scene. And it's just, it's about this boy's reaction to that. Um, well, yeah, What's perspective. Yeah. yeah. And so what I loved about it is that it's, <laughs> and this is what hit me hard is just that it's just as quick as the film is, it's almost like this metaphor for how quickly you grow up. Um, it's like two hours and 15 minutes. And in the blink of an eye, you just, you're six and now you're 18 and, you know, you still are learning, and you're still learning uh, how to maneuver through life, and it's just this fantastic story, and I, I enjoyed it immensely. I love the the interaction between Mason and Mason Senior, so uh, Ella Coltrane and Ethan Hawke, and I just thought that their their comments were so genuine. Like they they discuss Star Wars a lot the, throughout the film, and it's just fantastic because it's almost as though their Richard Linklater is just recording banter between these two people um, who are father and son, and it's just fantastic i i love
0: this film immensely yeah i'm gonna be echoing basically everything you guys have said and i should state um while while i guess we're technically talking spoilers of boyhood i i don't know how much you can spoil of this film and i'll say that i'm not i don't think we're gonna directly try to say everything that happens in the movie but i'm just right. gonna say we're gonna be fairly open about the events that take place with that in mind uh yeah I, I i mean i love this movie i i haven't i've seen it a month ago now and i haven't stopped thinking about it since then And it's, I think it's one thing to have a movie like this and just give it not like a pass, but give it like praise because it exists, because it's this movie that took 12 years to film and you have the actors realistically aging because that's how they shot it. But it's another thing to see what Richard Linklater was able to do, which is just put life on film. And he does that without... You know, having huge, impactful, dramatic moments, but instead just making life seem like actual life where you aren't watching, you know, crazy things happen to kids because that's what the script demands. It's just more of like, hey, we're going to have a person, another person in a scene and have them talk for a while, have a camera follow them down an alleyway, have a mother deal with her son, have a father interact with his children. Like, it's just it's just showing things that are a part of everyday life. But there's a there's something about the way that Linklater makes his movies, which is why I like Linklater quite a bit that they're all just... It's very accessible and very warm. And there's a lot of credit to be given to both Linklater as a filmmaker and the actors involved, because you have, along with Patricia Arquette and Ethan Hawke, who are obviously, you know, veteran actors compared to the actors that play their children, um, Eller Coltrane and Lorelei Linklater, they're not professionals, yet we're watching them for 12 years of their life, and they really grow into these roles. Like, especially Eller Coltrane, who's, of course, the person that we follow through this movie. I think he... As he ages, as Mason Junior, he becomes. A, he's like he's a very good actor. <laughs> like I, I'm really mm-hmm. convinced yeah. by this by this man by this boy becoming a man as he grows up that he would be this way, and that he feels very authentic and grounded and real, and that goes along with his chemistry with the other actors playing his parents and the people playing his friends and you know acquaintances and what have you, and all of that just it it it, just, it feels it feels so impactful on myself who can relate to a lot of these elements for various reasons. On top of that, it's just fascinating to watch a movie like this that does realistically date itself by having, um, having us see various periods in the in the time of um you know, America for 12 years, where you're watching certain images and seeing certain types of dialogue involving things that maybe have different kinds of relevance later on in the years. It's just all of that. I just found it very fascinating. Something I really like about that that Linklater has said about this film is that he was shooting a period film in the present. And that that's fascinating to me. I just like seeing a shot of a Macintosh that's like a huge old-style <laughs> computer knowing that not knowing where things would be going from there but just the idea of like hey here's this thing I'm going to put in frame because that probably will be different in the future. Like there's a lot of things like that that just are humorous or dramatic or interesting or very just awesome to watch unfold on screen. So, yeah, I love this movie quite a bit.
5: I thought it was interesting you kind of talked about the idea that, you know, I mean, not much really happens or we kind of just get these brief glimpses in life. And actually, one of the things that was brought to my attention, one of the few things brought to my attention before the movie, uh, but that you even pick up in is like it almost seems like Linklater uses a few scenes to kind of troll traditional movie making (laughs) uh I, I cite the example of like kids are playing with like a buzz saw and like
2: yeah in a, in a
5: thing, and you just like and then you could feel the whole audience like
0: bracing for the tragic like. <laughs> accident
2: the, that's gonna pl- happen for- they're playing with a buzzsaw and they're drinking at the same time yeah <laughs> it's
0: funny it's funny you mentioned that so when i saw boyhood there was a q a after the screening where rick link- that was a question brought up to link later about the, there's, a, there's a there's a sequence that features a buzzsaw like kids playing around with like buzzsaws and you think that nothing but bad things can happen from this and he has that scene in the movie just because that's something he did as a kid and it's just more of yeah, this is just stuff kids do.
4: <laughs>
5: right, it was, and, and you can feel the tension in the audience. Yes, the yeah, scene just yeah. hands and we just move on, and nothing bad happens. And it's yes. like right when that kid holds up that block
1: because he's, like, the, the odd man out. And like, oh, no! yeah,
5: I, I, I had an audible gasp in my seat. going to
1: happen? Right. There's a muscle right by, behind his head.
5: <laughs> but, uh, no, instead, you know, there are bad things that happen, but, like, it's not, it's nothing as ever, like, done for the sake of, like, over dramaticism or, or like, what can we do to like, we'll paint ourselves in a corner in this scene and then like have to get out of it that kind of thing. It really is just kind of this, this yearbook of videos every year. Like, I mean, there's just some, some cool moments from the evolution of characters, like when they go out to the country and <laughs> And, like, all of a sudden, Ethan Hawke's, you know, second family is actually, like, this Bible-beating group of really nice people, though. And, like, the kids are actually cool with it. And that that was one of my favorite scenes there when the, you know, the boy gets a, a shotgun as a present.
2: Yeah. For, <laughs> and, and a Bible. And like the Bible. A Bible and a, Bible and a shotgun it. on the same day. Right.
5: <laughs> and it's kind of, it's just was... really neat kind of how even, you know... I think it does a really cool balance of their, their family can changes constantly because immediately when you're introduced to them, Ethan Hawke and Pritchard are already broken up. Uh, so the kids are going to bounce back and forth between them and you just get all these different scenarios, uh, of really life that, that I just don't see in any other movie when it comes to kind of characters interacting with one another or reacting, you know, there's in certain ways that maybe you would or wouldn't expect.
1: Yeah, and Aaron, you brought this up, too, but I basically uh, thought about it, too, and I completely agree, which is they don't do things for these characters in terms of, he's a teenager now, he's going to throw a giant party, and that's exactly what teenagers want, right? No, it's actually just him working at a fast food restaurant for the summer, getting, like, acne on his chin, and then, like, nothing crazy happens, and that's why some people might think that it's boring or aimless, but realistically it's just this movie about this boy it doesn't have to be this hollywood drama or hollywood um comedy
2: there are elements though that i do feel have you sort of on the edge of your seat i mean that uh first husband that she or husband that she has that goes down the path of alcoholism there's definitely some really tense scenes there the part where he's checking their phones and, and quizzing them about did you call and that that stuff. I mean, I was kind of like almost holding my breath. Like, yeah. okay, what's going to happen I would, here? Yeah, so, I
0: would certainly bring that up as the kind of key example of the mate, the most, the biggest drama that happens in the movie. That's like significant and you know propels things forward at, a, at a, a tenser pace, I guess. But yeah, it really doesn't play off those moments very often.
2: But at the same time, I mean, real life is made up of a lot of little you know, happenings that aren't so great. I mean, he uses these cultural touchstones like the release of a Harry Potter book to inform the storyline. And, and that's kind of, you know, that's every person has sort of things that they remember as they were growing up. And so for that moment in time, the release of this book was a big deal. And that was kind of an interesting scene, just the way that people were dressed up. And it was a big, you know, and, and people, you know, now we watch that and say, oh, yeah, we sort of remember. I mean, I wasn't that age, but at the same time, I can still remember that moment in you know my life that there was a time where people were really excited about that. And then as he gets older, he's he's he goes on to in, he gets interested in Kurt Vonnegut, and so you see the development of this of this character as his his tastes mature and stuff. It's really really well laid out.
0: And they they feel in place and things like things like the Harry Potter things are established earlier because you have you know, scenes like Patricia Arquette reading Harry Potter film when they were much yeah. younger, or you have a scene with like the the first um, step. Father, where you establish that he's an alcoholic, and that kind of leads to certain things, and the same goes with the second stepfather. Uh, there, it it all feels like it's very organic to the, what the story's doing. Everything feels kind of in. Nothing feels like it's coming out of nowhere in terms of how these characters are developed and portrayed, and even the things that they involve themselves in. Like even kind of Eller's, or sorry, Mason, the actor, Mason's um, <laughs> kind of the, how he develops as a person. You, you can see like the things, the decisions he makes. Same with Samantha, I guess too. Like you can see, kind of where they're coming from throughout. They never, they don't feel like, oh, now she has this kind of hair. That's wild, huh? Like it just, (laughs) it 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 makes a certain certain sort of sense based on their both upbringing and what the movies put on display for us. Which is a, I think, is a very tricky task to do given the nature of how this movie was made. It's not like there was a, there wasn't a full script out for like what was going to happen necessarily. Which is another thing I.
2: I That's an interesting thing too. Is I don't the way Richard Linklater has. Fashion this narrative is masterful. I feel like there must be an awful lot of footage that he didn't use because he probably filmed much more than he thought he would need in order to fashion this. He didn't know how this young actor was going to develop Mm -hmm, and what kind of a person he was going to become. Now, I mean, of course, he can act, but at the same time, people change and look different ways, and he probably had to fashion the narrative in a way that would sort of make sense based on the way he looks and even his own personality and stuff and he he does it i mean I, you know and, and i have to think that there's lots of extra footage of other things that he filmed and decided well that's not going to fit in the way that people aged and so i'm just not going to use it but i would be uh, fascinated to see that
0: i can throw up a link to it because i i got to attend a press conference about boyhood so I, I know a lot about kind of the how they kind of put this movie together i can throw it it's on why so blue and i can Throw that up in the show notes for this episode, but I can say that they the script was developed every couple months before they started shooting. Like the next year, scene mm-hmm. in the initial idea of this film, Linklater had a basic idea with kind of a, an idea of where it would like how it would start and end, but nothing like really in the middle, just because you know where, where the actors would grow up and how they would be and whatnot. And in putting the film together, every time they'd shoot, they they knew what they were shooting, and he would edit it at that time. Um, and then kind of put it onto the, the chunk of film that was being assembled together. That's right. Yeah. And um, kind of keep going from there. And at the end of the the whole thing, there wasn't much that he took out, apparently, like in terms oh, that's of good. what I, he was shooting. That's, that's the I thing. was wondering, I was going to was because Mark, like, I
1: was like, I'm waiting for the the Blu-ray to come out so I can check out the behind-the-scenes footage
0: and tons of other footage that he may have used. he's or talked about there's a lot did. of stuff that's going to be on there in terms of like, like little interviews they're filming with the actors each year to, yeah. for the kids particularly. But in terms of like the kind of main narrative, the the stuff they've chopped out is just more alternate alternate line takes and whatnot, as opposed to like major story elements, which Boy, I thought was fascinating size. too. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> but yeah, I, I I I also found as I also found that very interesting as I was watching it, Mark. It was like. What what was the process of editing like for this movie? Right. yeah, it, it is a it is a task to do something like this, but they only shot so much every year since they just kind of had to carefully planned it out, given that it was like a weird side project they happened to be doing.
5: I will uh, ambush the love fest for one second just because, uh, I don't know, it's Let's fun do it. to be, fun to be obtuse, if you will. I will say that I think I, I like the first two-thirds of the movie a little bit better than the back third, I thought. So, you know, I mean, what, 9.5 out of 10 instead of 10 or something? I don't you know. <laughs> semantics. <laughs> but uh, it does, I would say that uh, for me personally, I kind of enjoyed uh, the younger versions of Mason kind of growing up. Uh, and when he becomes a, kind of a high schooler, I will occasionally does get a little like link Linklater heavy where, where I'm kind of like, would this high school kid really kind of have this waking life, philosophical, like, long-form conversation? That was the only time I kind of, like, was taken out of it a little bit. Uh, and I could see occasionally that kind of thing. Maybe taking, uh, you know, your average movie, movie viewer might not be as into that or as into stealing, you know, Obama signs or something like that. There's, <laughs> there's little pieces of, of link lighter that he just kind I feel like he couldn't quite help himself from from kind of putting in there that like i was kind of like yeah that was fun but like i don't it wasn't didn't quite hold the realism of, of some of the earliest scenes where i thought it was all just very very natural and organic
0: i mean i think i think there's an element of kids that are kids but like high schoolers that do kind of try to think that way, whether or not it's comprehensible. I mean, I, I think there's an element of kids that – or of teenagers that want to kind of speak in philosophical terms because they think that they're kind of wiser beyond their years, which is kind of where the started out with Slacker. I mean, he's addressing these kind of things in at an, at an early age and putting, putting it in a movie beforehand.
5: No, you're, and you're probably right on that. And I actually do think he does kind of a good job of building dialogue around, like, trying to sound smart but actually kind of fumbling it a little bit. Yeah. Uh. And I think that that does that does bear out a little bit of high school years too in a good way.
2: Mark did you? Have something? Well, just I mean it it doesn't you know, it's it's sort of like this it's deceptively aimless. I mean it doesn't and it sort of ends in sort of a, a, a at a point where it actually has more story to go because you know the people have the rest of their lives to live. So there isn't like a final ending where like oh, let's all join hands and you know, let's be happy it, it it has sort of a question mark is okay now in fact patricia arquette has sort of a, a little monologue at the end that kind of like alludes to that so yeah. and and you can say you could criticize that and and i wouldn't fault you for that because it it doesn't have that sort of finality to it but I, but I, I i accept it because i think i sort of felt as i was watching the film like yeah this is not gonna have like a traditional ending i don't think it can because it's the whole film is sort of this little rumination on on a life without any kind of a specific you know rise and fall kind of finality to it. So you could kind of say, well, you might prefer that to a movie. Um, but the way that I think Linklater has uh, presented this, I think he does a masterful job of it. So I, I I accept it. But I could that would be if I had a little bit of a uh, quibble, maybe it's just that it's it's not like your traditional you know uh, climax and and kind of a, which is sometimes a little bit more satisfying. But um, but I it's a small quibble because I I loved everything that he was putting down. I, I and I was never bored. I mean, you know, two hours and what is it, forty five minutes or yeah. fifty minutes? I mean, it's you. It's very hard to make a three hour movie and and not lose interest. And I always felt like it it had it had my attention and it's a lot of it is because it's these little series of each each little vignette that goes on in his life is is interesting even when it's not something major. So so I was
5: even trying to think about what made it such a brisk 3 hours was it you know the editing was it that I'm ADD so having like that <laughs> many different vignettes like kind of like pushed me through cuz I'm like oh something new and shiny over and over again but I've, it's just such an achievement to me to not have, like we said, some of those crazy, canned dramatic arcs, and yet, like everything just moves forward at such like a, a locomotive pace, like very, very well, just,
2: just Wait. forward. Another thing I did like that Richard Linklater did was it put in these little things like video games and like at one point he's yeah. holding a handheld game later on he's he's playing a a, a, a game on the tv and then the, his little sister at one point is singing oops i did it again to him and then mm-hmm. then they're watching a funnier or die video and you think about that you're like okay I, it must be around you know 2006 here or, or this is 2008 or and and those kind of i mean even when nothing is happening on screen those little like things kind of like oh, okay that that keeps your interest too he does a really good job of that
1: one of the things that I also liked about what Linklater did is he he'd shot, uh, not always, but there's this always sometimes like a shot of Mason younger. I, I found that to be very, uh, very cool actually, because you know there's just Mason on a photo frame in front of his mom when he's talking to Patricia Arquette, and it's just Mason at age ten or something versus a version of him at age sixteen, and it was. Actually, really, uh, is a nice little throwback. It's a nice little Easter
0: egg. Kind of keeping track of how far we've come as we watch him further.
5: I will say that the the parent. I think the parents' arcs are, are very earned, and I think there's there's two particular scenes that kind of close both of those characters at the end. That um, I think most people would say are some of the more powerful, you know, acting
0: one-on-one acting scenes that you'll see this year. I um I agree, and I. I put special hats off to. I think Patricia Arquette's kind of the MVP of this movie for me. She's
2: incredible, actually. Yeah, Yeah,
0: I think I I I like Patricia Arquette a lot. I I I think she's a very good a very good actress. Um, and her in this movie is just a, it it's a great performance. And there is a moment. There's a few. There's a number of moments with her that (laughs) that that hit me. But there's one that's doesn't even doesn't even involve her son. It involves another character that runs into her kind of late in the film that, that <laughs> that's that's it an got emotional me. scene it yeah. did it got me like, <laughs> it just, you, got you see me it in too. her face and i was like oh my god <laughs> like, this is this is just wonderful but i, I think yeah. throughout <laughs> the, throughout the movie i think patricia arquette what she's required to do and i mean not to discredit anybody else either because i think ethan Hawke gives a terrific performance performance as well but i just arquette stuck out to me it's like the one that's like she's giving it just everything
2: when they talk about Patricia Arquette, like if they're going to list like three movies in her career retrospective, th- this is going to be one of the films. Easily. I mean, as far as feature films, because this is, ex- yeah, she was just really good. But you're right. I don't want to discount er- everyone. I mean, I, even the the children who you know you don't even know what kind of how they're going to develop and whether they're going to be able to act as they get older, and they they all you know handle it.
0: Mm-hmm. I will, you know, I will say, and we've talked about kind of, we- we've talked about how it, um, it fits a certain, it's not, you know, it's it's a uh, it has an aimless quality to it, I guess. Every time I describe this movie to people, grants I use wording that, you know, obviously makes me want to recommend the film, but every time I describe this movie to people, they say I need to see that movie, and it's just that's what I want to happen. I want more and more people see this movie.
5: Well, and it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see its rollout because it, they are starting to be some rumbles that if it maintains it's per theater numbers uh, week after week that it might actually get like a, a, a normal wide release here in a week or two. Which would be great. Yeah, yeah.
0: And so then everybody could see it. <laughs> <laughs> I think our rating's pretty clear. Go see this movie when you can.
2: It, it does have the highest rating on Rotten
0: Tomatoes as well. And like Metacritic, like ever. <laughs> um, which And Metacritic's a tough crowd, can be. Wow, so. right.
1: What is it on Metacritic?
0: Ninety nine. Yeah, that ne- okay. that's that's, that's that of doesn't enough. happen. <laughs> Like yeah. The best movies of the years are, are rarely in the 90s. <laughs> like It's crazy. Okay, let's move on, though. Let's get to our sponsor real quick. Let's do that. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at audibletrial.com. There are over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player or any kind of device there. For you, the listeners of Out Now, There, and Abe, Audible is offering a free audiobook download of a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Abe, do you have a book to recommend?
1: I do. I do have a book to recommend this week. It's called The Life and Times of the Thunderbolt Kid. I recommended this book before, and the past it's by bill bryson and it's also narrated by bill bryson and this is actually bill bryson's it's kind of like a semi-autobiography biography of uh, his life growing up in like ohio and um and then moving on and it's incredibly funny it is hilarious i love bill bryson he writes humor into his own life and the way that he actually takes the the messages that he's learned from his father and also learned from writing uh, and puts it out there for everybody to read I love this book and I cannot recommend it enough.
0: All right, thank you for that. And you can download that book or any other book you find at audible. com slash out now podcast. Try out, you know, get the book. Try out the service. If you don't like the service, you can get rid of it, but you get to keep the book that you downloaded for free. So there you go, AudibleTrial.com slash out now podcast. All right. So now that we've talked about Boyhood, let's uh, before we get to um, Snowpiercer and our feedback, let's do let's talk about some of the other movies. A little little less lengthier discussion on some of these, but I know we've all seen a number of kind of other art house indie foreign whatever films in the in recent weeks and i'm gonna let mark start what's uh what's another film you've recently seen
2: okay so i saw um the internet's own boy the story of aaron schwartz and this was a documentary about a child prodigy um on the computer and he he kind of developed into this i mean he was sort of like a hacker but he's one of these hackers that was more altruistic he was for the idea of freeing up information on the internet and that it should be free access for everyone to be able to read and, and and benefit from and it sort of has to do with the story of how it's kind of a complicated story but he basically had downloaded a bunch of scholarly articles from a, um, a company called JSTOR uh, using uh, the MIT uh, servers and the federal government then decided to pursue him uh, for these downloads, which JSTOR had charged for these articles, and so he was downloading them, and then he actually didn't even ever get to the point of doing anything with them. He had only downloaded them in mass quantities. I mean, like close to five million articles. So it was a huge amount of stuff that he had downloaded, uh, but yet he hadn't ever done anything with it. The idea is that he probably was going to share it, like on peer-to-peer networks and things like that. But anyway, um, it's sort of about that and how the the point of view of the documentary is how this guy was sort of almost unfairly made an example of, and that the crime that he was guilty of was probably not as bad as what the federal government was then charging him with and uh, his His story does not have a happy ending, and uh, then it 's not actually a secret, but if you followed if you followed his story but um, it, it's, it's, it''s it's it's a bit one sided because you really none of the people. None of the U.S. district attorney, nor JSTOR, nor MIT, none of these people have decided to appear on camera. And when you watch the documentary, you sort of understand why, because I wonder what they could have said to justify their behavior, despite the fact that I think people agree that uh, Aaron Schwartz had behaved possibly inappropriately, but not to the extent that he was being charged. And the documentary, it was something I didn't actually know anything about, and I found it really fascinating. It's kind of an interesting story, and I think even if you um, haven't heard about this gentleman, I think it would be an interesting story for people to check out and, and, and learn from. Cool. So what was that called again? Well, so it, the, the title is The Internet's Own Boy, colon, The Story of Aaron
1: Schwartz.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Great. Okay. I don't think anyone's, uh, any of us have seen it, so I can't really – add anything onto it, but that sounds interesting. So thanks for that. But so we're just going to keep kind of going in circles until we run out of movies. So uh, let's go with John next. John, what uh, what other movie have you seen?
5: All right. Well, uh, Secrets Out, you and I saw uh, the new Michelle Gondry movie actually uh, earlier today, Mood Indigo. Um, which is, uh, a, a foreign movie for you, uh, folks who aren't aware. Michel Gondry, guy behind Eternal Sunshine and Spiless Mind, the director there. Uh, but then he kind of, for the most part, keeps doing kind of his quirky little cool movies like The The Science of Sleep or Be Kind Rewind. Um, this one is full, uh, full on French film with, uh, Audrey Tatao as kind of the, the main female protagonist. Um, so combining two of my favorite things, Amelie and Michelle Condry. There um, you go. And, uh, you know, I didn't, I just literally like heard about this on like Friday and was like, Oh, where the heck is this? Uh, and, uh, it's, it's mood Indigo is about as surrealist movie as I think I've ever seen in my life. It's just, it's bonkers. Um, it It moves at like a dizzying pace think about if you saw eternal sunshine when like they're going through all the the memories and dreams like really scattershot like that's almost how this movie is the entire way through and it just uh, it's the most imaginative built thing on the planet like so it is like a waking dream but there's no green screen so it's all like stop motion techniques and and it's just it's crazy uh I haven't had a lot of time to digest it yet, but um, for people who like, I, I guess, visually inventive but also kind of mentally challenging films, uh, I'd recommend it. It's a movie I would want to watch again almost because the subtitles make it harder because I'm trying to like look at all these cool images – while reading what the characters are saying, and it was, I found myself kind of having to really work hard, uh, to keep up, but.
0: I'm kind of in the same camp with you on that one, and generally subtitles isn't a thing that, like, hinders my viewing experience, but because Michelle Gondry's visual style is so beyond <laughs> what you're used to, um, it really does make it hard to kind of balance seeing what characters are saying, at, while also seeing the very, very, very quirky things going on on screen at all times throughout this movie. Such as people at a people at a party, and someone brings out oven roasted snacks, which are all in tiny little ovens on a tray that you have to open up and pull out the snacks from. It's just like <laughs> it's it's all that kind of stuff <laughs> to a wide degree. Like there's there's one it's one thing to be able like to go to seek this movie out and
5: find it. It's it's one. No, it's, I mean, you, you I I recommend people seeing it. You, it's just <laughs> it's a spectacle to see. I can't even tell you what I really feel about the movie, but I'm completely. Had to see it and I'm glad I saw it, but like tonally and mood wise, it's it's interesting because it just goes, it goes in a direction and then it just like ends. Yeah.
0: (laughs) That's, yeah, that's a way to,
5: that's a way to say it. I can I also so. say
0: I can also say Mark. I know you're a fan of the Intouchables. The um, Omar Sy, the African American character from that film. Yeah. He's not African American. He's French. The black character. Why am I saying that anyway? I, don't, I hate to say uh, African American. The black character from that movie. He's 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 in there as well. He plays the caretaker. Okay. Yeah.
2: Well, he was in uh, X Men too. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was in X Men as Bishop. And his table, every, right?
0: everyone, Bishop, everyone's favorite character from X Men, Bishop. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he did so much. Uh, but yes, he. I know he,
2: he was. made that movie. But, oh, he <laughs> made that <laughs> <it> movie. <was, laughs> I guess I'm going to try to give this,
5: you know, a, a synopsis would be uh, there's a there's a guy who's probably, you know, 25 to 35, wh- living a whimsical life with his chef slash best friend.
0: A French hipster meets a girl in Paris. Done. I mean, that's what it's <laughs> <funny.
5: laughs> Come on, I'm trying to do. <laughs> but yes, it's definitely just a boy meets girl, a girl gets sick we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah. So uh
0: and there's a cloud car. <laughs> I'd cer- and I'd certainly say if you're a fan of like the movies like The Science of Sleep, I think this is certainly kind of in the, in that kind of that world of Gondry, his kind of weirder tendencies as opposed to something more mainstream like Be Kind 1 I think has been more mainstream than other movies and Yeah. I mean is it's definitely... uh, it's not Green Hornet again, that's for sure. It's him doing yeah. something that's completely his own. Right. right. This is
5: nobody told him to edit a single thing on this movie. <laughs> <laughs> There was not one person which in a that gave in any sense. input.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's Mood Indigo, which is in limited release now. Abe, what about you? Pass. Pass, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll jump to something, then I'll jump to Wish I Was Here.
3: Ah, yes.
0: This is the Zach Braff film, the new Zach Braff film, ten years after his first film, Garden State. And despite, I mean, despite Zach Braff clearly, from based on what I've heard, holding people at gunpoint, and forcing them to pay for his movie, even though he constantly drives around in nothing but million dollar Lamborghinis and could clearly afford movies on his own, besides that controversy, which I assume that's the reason why people are angry at him um I was fine with this movie um overall i I'm a person that likes garden state i I don't know if that's controversial or not, but I think it's a it's it's a fine movie for that time, and I think he's certainly grown as a director in the you know decade since he made that film. I would still say the the, it it feels it feels precious. It feels like there's a it's two hours when it doesn't need to be. It feels like there's a lot of kind of extra material going on because he has kind of the cast he has because he has the ideas he wants to share, which feels fairly in line with certain with something like Boyhood actually, where it's dealing with this man. Zach Braff plays a kind of a, a family man in his th- in his late thirties, mid thirties who's like a struggling actor, but he has two kids and a wife. The wife played by Kate Hudson. He's pretty good in this movie, actually. It's nice to see Kate Hudson, you know, act in pretty movies. good? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he has a, he has a father played by Manny Patinkin, Um and a brother yeah, played yeah. by Josh Gad, um, who, who are both very, who are excellent in this movie. I think they're kind of the highlights of the movie. And uh, he's kind of just, he's dealing with, with his life and his father who's, he's become sick and he has to both kind of balance that with his own life as an actor who can't seem to get a part, and then he has his family and the drama that goes on there. I guess as it's kind of a follow-up, like it's not connected to Garden State in any way. It's certainly kind of a follow-up film to that, though, because he's gone from being kind of mid 20s guy to being mid 30s guy. And I think the only real problem is Zach Braff. Actually, I think his character is very whiny. Really. He's very whiny in the movie, <laughs> which you, it kind of it can. I can see how that could be grating. I wouldn't say that turned me off from the movie, but I can see how that's. That could be the major issue one would have. um I would also say and this is something I didn't expect mainly because I just didn't know anything about this movie going in, besides the fact that it's just the new Zach Braff movie and I know the cast involved. But it's very Jew heavy, like it's very Jewish, like it's <laughs> which and there's so much like little jokes and things involving like his kids going to Hebrew school and whatnot that made me smile, like it made, it made me it made me, it made me laugh. Just the things I could relate to and with what he's doing there when that kind of ends after the kind of the first third of the movie kind of j- jumps into other areas. But it, it was, it reminded me a lot of kind of a serious man except Zach Rapp is no Cohen brothers. So it it can only go so far, but I mean, if you like the, it very much feels like not necessarily a typical art house movie, but it, it certainly fits in that realm. And if you're, if you're into garden state or if you're into art house movies that lean on alternative music and characters being defined by quirky aspects of them, then this, then uh, Wish I Was Here is certainly a movie that you can go check out. Question. Yeah.
1: So how how was Donald on? I mean, that's Dr. Turk and Dr. and JD back again.
0: I can say that all two minutes of his screen time were fine. Okay. Just fine.
1: Okay. <laughs> I, I, don't,
0: I don't know what you're expecting from a person that's not in the main <laughs> cast, but there you no, go. I know, I know he's not in the main
1: cast. He's like an Austin Mountain like, car dealer. Just like, I just want to see if they had some, some clever joke between them or something.
0: No, there were there was no cutaway flashback sequence <laughs> <to> them <laughs> playing <laughs> basketball or something. <laughs> yeah, all right, let's move on then. Mark, another, another movie.
2: Oh, I'll just keep up the theme of documentaries. I saw Life Itself, which Ooh. is the documentary with Roger Ebert. Oh, yes. And uh, also a very good, this is actually probably going to be a good year for documentaries. I also, a while back in the early of the part of the year, I saw Yarovsky's Dune, which I enjoyed quite a bit. But anyway, Life Itself, um, a story about Roger Ebert and his life. And, I mean, of course, to anybody like us who reviews films, he's definitely sort of an inspiration um I I thought I, I liked I really liked the stuff having to do with him and Gene Siskel. I think all of that is like really fascinating and I think the chemistry that this, those two had has never really been replicated since and you see a lot of their interactions either be in front of the camera and behind the camera and I thought all that was really fascinating. Um I, it it also the the part having to do with his wife Chaz and his his personal um experiences near the end of his life Form a very big part of this film as well. those are also very compelling and definitely very emotional so it, it 's kind of it 's sort of like two parts of a film: um, his film critic area and then it 's also his his battle with cancer and then his his love for his wife, Chaz. And that's, it's very compelling. It's almost like a different film, the, these two parts, but they do kind of interweave them. So you sort of get bits and pieces of these stories throughout the whole thing. So it's very well done and, and, uh, definitely, uh, something I would highly recommend.
0: Yeah. I, uh, I brought up life itself a couple weeks ago on this podcast, but I've seen it as well. And I basically echo your sen- sentiments. I think it does a good job of kind of balancing what it's trying to fit into a, you know, an, a documentary that doesn't feel too long or too, focus on one particular aspect of ebert's life even though it you know concentrates on his his career as a kind of a newspaper man and a, and a film reviewer and onwards as opposed to like an, an all-encompassing documentary about roger ebert and i do yeah i did appreciate the kind of the the, the work done with cisco as well it's it's, it's nice it's nice to see those two being represented in in this kind of fashion especially by steve james of all people who ebert obviously both of them obviously you know really loved as a filmmaker right yeah john you ever know the movie
5: No, I'm I'm tapped out. I failed to see Obvious Child. That's the only other one I kind of want to see that's out there right now, I think. Mark, Uh, have you
0: seen Obvious Child? I have not. Okay, yeah, I saw it at the Newport Beach Film Festival. This is the film with Jenny Slate um, from SNL fame, formerly of SNL fame. Um, And she plays a a, uh, comedian. uh, She plays a stand-up comedian, a struggling stand-up comedian who... Has a one-night stand and becomes pregnant, and the plot involves her wanting to get an abortion. It's a it's a fine character comedy drama. I I enjoy it. I didn't love it. I know a lot of people love it. I'm like I'm I'm pretty good with it, but uh, I I think it's worth I think it's worth checking out. I do like the kind of uh, the the exposure it's gotten, and not just because I don't even know if there's much controversy behind it beyond what you'd expect from a movie about that's very pro-abortion. But um, it's I I I thought it's an enjoyable film. What else can I say? Uh, Oh, the other movie that came out this week, kind of, um, in limited release. It's called Eye Origins. Um, This is a movie from director Mike Cahill, who previously directed Another Earth, which managed to find its way on my top ten list a few years back. Hmm. Um, It stars Britt Marling and Michael Pitt, who's best known for Boardwalk Empire. It's very hard to describe what Eye Origins is about without kind of divulging what happens in the movie. And I think it's a shame that the trailer that's out there exists, because it basically gives away the entire film. Um... But it involves Michael Pitt's character as a he's he's a, he's a genetic researcher he's doing a lot of study on on the human eye and he it's really it's really hard to describe this movie, but essentially he meets another <laughs> he meets another person who's very very much focused on the on the, on the faith side of things and he's very much a science man and it has a kind of a sort of play on kind of science versus faith how that plays into things, although I wouldn't call it it's not, it's not a religious movie. Um, but it has that, the plot kind of kicks in, kicks into where that can take things based on his own ideological beliefs and how he gets challenged in that matter. Um, it's such a, it's such a weird movie to try and describe, but I will, I will say I enjoyed it. I'll say I, I think it's a, I think it has a lot, it has a lot going on, which makes it, why it's hard to kind of describe as a, <laughs> what the movie's about, but I think it's, um, I think it has some strong performance. I think the visuals are interesting of what it's doing in a movie like, cause, uh, K, Mike A. directed this film doing another earth. That's a movie that had a, a had a kind of a premise in the background where you have this other earth appear in the sky, and that's a thing that's going on, but it's not played up as the kind of main aspect of the film. And this one has a certain thing going on that's also similarly played in the background before it kicks into kind of the last third of the film, and there's, you know, a real plot. But it's mainly a character drama that kind of evolves as it goes along. But I, I did enjoy it. Cool, Mark, any other movies? Uh...
2: I mean, have you guys talked about Begin Again on the show?
0: Uh, briefly, I mentioned briefly, it last yeah. week. I, <laughs>
2: I, I, I know you're a bigger fan, right? I really liked it. I, I thought it was just a really lighthearted, fun, you know, almost like a musical with, uh, I, 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 it's a drama comedy, but with musical numbers in it, and uh, I thought that uh, the uh, director did a really good job at sort of extracting. Kira Knightley's ability to sing, which is, you know, not the great... She's not the greatest singer, but they don't push her. And then Adam Levine's ability to act, I think they balance those two things really well. And then Mark Ruffalo, I thought there was a lot of charm, and, and it just... It made me feel good, so I, I thought it was... I didn't really... I, I, I've since become aware that there is some, like, hate to this film, which I don't get, because it just seems too sweet and innocent, but, um, I, I, you know, it's from the director of Once... Which mm-hmm. I think is probably a better film because it, it came out before this, and this does tread some of the same kind of territory, but I think it does enough innovation to this you know ideas that it's it it it's valuable on its own, and uh yeah, i mean I, I liked it
0: yeah i um I'm not as big a fan of it as you, but I do appreciate a lot of it, and I certainly find it sweet and charming almost too much so to you know rail against for whatever reason i think the the main issue i have is that it because it's hitting a lot of this it's hitting similar aspects to once it's that having mark ruffalo and karen knightley who are you know major movie stars play these kind of lost soul people it just it, it, it i couldn't quite get into it because of that reason which is a hard thing to a hard thing to discount on a on a director who has a you know a great cast but it I almost felt like it kind of worked against him by having such 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 well-known and great actors in this movie um, playing the roles that they're playing, if that makes any sense.
2: There's a scene where he goes, uh, Mark Ruffalo, as the A&R guy, goes to this club and he happens to hear Keira Knightley singing in sort of like this, you know, club and with just a guitar. And he imagines the song with all the accompaniment that he thinks it would need in order to be a hit. And the way that the instruments kind of like start playing by themselves and he imagines it, I just thought that was kind of a really beautifully composed scene. It's actually in the trailer, mm-hmm. um, but it, it plays out better in the film because it, it takes its time in a way that the trailer has to like hurry it up. Uh, but I thought that, like, and I think there's a lot, there's, a, there's several scenes in the film that are memorable like that. And I think there was enough of that in the film to make it something worth recommending. Yeah, I
0: agree, I agree that I do think it's, it's worth checking out for sure and i do think the soundtrack's strong enough to help it right there yeah. i guess before we get into Snowpiercer, i know there's there's just one movie left that i want to bring up uh because i know mark and i have both seen it it's called the rover mark i know you're not a fan of the rover is that correct i didn't care for it no I didn't care for it yet. i i was i'm very mixed on it this is the this is the film with guy pierce and robert pattinson from the director of animal kingdom from a few years back a movie that i like quite a bit and you have it's set in this kind of recent post-apocalyptic Australian world where it's basically existential road warrior where it's not a lot happens but you just have these open fields in Australia with one man played by Guy Pierce desperately trying to get back his car for whatever reason and Robert Pattinson gets involved as he's a man that's he's associated with the people that stole Guy Pierce's car um, that seems like the most inessential objective one could have in a movie yeah. set in post-apocalyptic <laughs> Australia getting your car back there's certainly a reason behind it, but it's a matter of how much do you care. And because the movie's really nihilistic, I guess would be the best way to say it, it's that's, it's hard to kind of get behind Guy Pearce's character, despite him giving it his all, which I think he does in this movie.
2: Right. So this film has gotten quite a... has gotten a, f- a fair amount of acclaim in some circles. And uh, basically my, my disregard for the film is that I feel like the film is, is just kind of reprehensible. I mean, I just think, like you said, it's very nihilistic, and there's a lot of violence. I mean, there's scenes of guns going, like, being pointed in people's faces and going off, and, and you see the bullet hitting their face and bloody, and it's just disgusting. And and after a while, I was just like, okay, enough. I, and then there is, and we, we're watching this whole unrelentingly bleak film to a, you know, denouement at the end, and I just didn't think the, what we what the end result of the whole thing that we've sat through all of this horrible stuff justified what we watched so i i mean i left the theaters just angry you know like this is i didn't care for it uh, at all yeah yeah
0: i i echo a lot of your sentiments i I can say i just i I like guy pierce enough where i i it's well acted acted yeah
2: yeah and um robert Robert pattinson i can actually i can uh, understand he gives a good performance and i i think there is there is i mean it's a well-made film you know like i can see that i can see the talent behind the camera so like I'm not it's sort of like I I get that but you know I, I actually felt like the yeah I just like you know you get to the end and then there's the ending and then you're like ugh oh, I just that's not enough you know to justify why I watched this film sure. I, I just left feeling kind of angry about it and then and then you start reading reviews that say greatest film of the year from people and then it makes you even hate it more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I
0: certainly understand that. I'll seek that
1: one out on D V D then. Uh
2: Blu ray. Well, uh, you, you okay. should seek it out because it's gotten enough acclaim that you know you may actually. In fact, I I, I, I wouldn't have been surprised, Aaron, if you had enjoyed it, but because a lot of people have. But.
0: I'm like right in the middle on it, really, because, because mainly because you just don't really enjoy it so much as you endure it. And it's like right, right. A well, of that's how, what it was. It was an endurance how, test. It's, yeah, it's yeah. a matter of how much you appreciate you know the acting and what's going on behind the camera. As oh, opposed oh, oh. To and
2: by the, the way, okay, so. Uh, David Michaud is that his director's yes. name? Yes. Okay, he did Animal Kingdom. I love that film. Oh, that's good. Like,
0: to, yeah, because I really like that movie as love well. Love that yeah. film.
2: Like I, I would, I might, I might even put that in my top ten of the year it came out. So this was also like you know expectations were like oh gosh this guy is talented and and I can see the talent. But the film just there was the narrative wasn't good enough.
0: And they're certainly very similar films too. There that one's equally bleak, I would say, and has very deliberate pacing in what it's doing. Right. Uh, and right. has very minimal going on beyond, you know, the, it's like a family gangster story essentially. But it's a it's a good movie. <laughs> right. That's <laughs> yeah. good. Well, now that this two hander between Mark and I is ended, we can go from <laughs> we can go from the very hot post apocalyptic Australian thriller. Uh, now to this very icy cold Korean-made um, post-apocalyptic thriller as we discuss the film Snowpiercer. This chaos. A thousand people in an iron box. Eighteen years I've hated the train. Eighteen years I've waited for this
3: moment. This is your world. The train saved
4: humanity. The engine lasts forever. The population must always be kept in balance. I said sit down. Passengers, eternal order flows from the sacred engine. We must occupy our preordained position. I belong to the front. You belong to the tail. No go.
0: Okay, so that should be some of the trailer for Snowpiercer, which is a sci-fi film from acclaimed Korean director uh, Bong Joon-ho, who has the task of showing a post-apocalyptic world that has been frozen over, with the last of the world's population living on a high-speed train that circles the globe yearly. The train is divided into sections, with the lower class living at the back and the fed up and fed up at their treatment. Chris Evans leads a band of these tail end citizens to rise against the front end of the train, making their way through car by car, body by body. Let's start with Mark this time. Mark, what did you think of the film
2: *Snowpiercer*? So, just to lay it out, I love this film, and in the world of post-apocalyptic dystopian dramas, this is one of the best. I put this in a category of like Brazil, Fifth Element, Twelve Monkeys, Blade Runner. It's it's like in that category. I, I'm glad that Fifth Element wound its way up into this category now. I know you, that you know, I, know, you I, know, know you, I love that film. I know you and me both love that movie quite a bit, but I like that that's there. Yeah. And actually, uh, Fifth Element is kind of a valid comparison because there is kind of a loopiness to this film. I mean, it's got a very serious, you know, uh, take on the future. It's got this train that basically represents the sum total of humanity on it. And in the front of the train, we have the elites of society, and in the back, we have the freeloaders or the, the lower class and the idea is that it's sort you know actually it's very timely because this story is like the haves and the have-nots and the have-nots are fed up they're not going to take it anymore they want you know to live a better life and it's it's not enough that they're they're living in in you know bad conditions but they're also treated horribly so they take it upon themselves to make it from the back of the train to the front and so we have this really kind of interesting drama uh kind of a linear progression from the back to the front and as they make their way from those two places, we see different trains. And each train is – the production design of this film is extraordinary. And each train is like a separate world. And I really love that about it. And the idea that, you know, they're they're trying to get through these different uh, – e- each room is like a different set piece. And I just – we'll, we'll get into like the – the, the performances and, and what I like. But it has sort of a sense of humor. There's there's definitely some, you know, horrific violence in this film, too. But I always feel like, in this case, the violence was justified. And it was this idea of an uprising where sometimes, you know, the the fight for freedom is not without some some uh heartache and so that shows that and I think it was all justified and uh, I thought it was a very compelling film. I loved it. And with that said, let's go to John. What do you think of Snowpiercer?
5: Um, this one I've definitely been waiting for this one for a while. I, I swear that we might have seen a trailer to this when we like went to see the way way back or something last <laughs> year. Like when when I was going through, you know, the usual summer indies of last year, there was like a trailer for this movie. And then it like just never came out. <laughs> Um, and of course, there is a bit of a backstory to this one where, uh, the wine scenes did buy this. Uh, and I guess there was a little bit of a fight over, uh, final cut and that kind of thing. But, uh, in the end, we got, uh, the director's cut. We got what, what the director here wanted us to see. And I think, uh, that's one of the strengths of this movie. Cause I think, uh, had it been kind of cut for an American audience, it might have lost a little bit of that that uh, kind of Far Eastern wacky sensibility that gets kind of sprayed about in, uh, and gives this movie, to me, a, a little extra kick to what does make it kind of uh, on that higher end or, or among better company with these kind of movies because there are just, um, I mean, I guess I'll just jump into it. Tilda Swinton uh, creates one of the more memorable villainous characters that you're going to see in an action movie in quite some time. Uh, and she's just one of many things in this film uh, that's just like kind of psychotically, uh, you know, gleefully entertaining. <laughs> she really <laughs> chomps into a role that apparently was originally for a guy. And the director's just like, nope, uh, I wanted to cast Tilda Swinton. So I just cast Tilda Swinton. And she's a <laughs> yeah, yeah, taskmaster for the front people uh, to kind of like keep the back people in the train in line. And. And I mean, there's just there's definitely just a lot of uh, Mark said it best. I mean, production design and kind of this this very enclosed environment is is just used to about the greatest effect it could be used for a movie, uh, kind of pushing you forward into all these just uh, brilliant set pieces and really interesting directing choices.
0: Hey.
1: I certainly liked the film. I, I don't think that I was super in love with it, but I did appreciate what it was doing, and I really liked how basically. <laughs> Uh, it, it's almost like this uh, metaphor for our evolution of society, so to speak. So you know, it's, it's just... Oh, uh, no, it's not out.
0: almost. It is. <laughs> it is an <laughs> I mean, allegory. You know, <laughs>
1: yeah, it's it's like Drake. You know, he started from the bottom. Now he's here, and so.
2: Uh, <laughs> he's just like Drake. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you know, like this, just, why? Why Drake. did they not include that song in the soundtrack <laughs> during the, during the fight scene? Yeah. But you know. You, you work
1: your way up through the front. I the a trailer how, with that song. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, Chris Evans and his crew, they, they work their way up from the, the back of the train, which is, like, where the lower class is. And you see how, you know, you see how things progress. You know, people are going to school and whatever else. And then things kind of just society, they just, they have too much time on their hands. It turns into, like, this Gatsby story, so to speak, because these people are just partying and just boozed and drugged out, and then you get to the front where it's very philo- philosophical, in which, uh, you know, the conductor is, like, he's got a plan, he has a reason for this, and so I appreciated all of that. I, 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 I mean, I did like all the set pieces, too, like, how each compartment basically is its own little world. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's a good film. I, I do recommend that people go see it, but I just honestly wasn't head over heels for it
0: um i've explained in the pre in the one of our, our couple weeks ago episode that it was my favorite movie of the year so far um at this point i'm kind of between this and boyhood as my favorite film of the year so far but with that said Snowpiercer, piercer i like a lot of what mark and john have said i just i love this movie i love the kind of the world that it's set up i love how outlandish it is but how much i didn't care about the logic of a world <laughs> where the entire population is on a train let alone they hey, explained that let alone the, I mean, let alone the other aspects of it, like having a full-on aquarium, or how you can continue a supply of cockroaches for so long. Like, it's just a lot of things like this where they just don't matter to me, and I think that fits well within the realm of kind of like earlier sci, even like set like 70s experimental sci-fi movies where you really it, it 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 manages to ask kind of big big questions and have big ideas without providing intricate explanations for how everything works, which is just something that you don't need in films like this because there's so much else going on that's far more interesting, such as the cast that this movie has and such as the the overall plotting of this movie and the allegorical way it handles um, the fall of society and turning it into this kind of study of class systems and putting that all within the realm of an action movie and a very effective action movie. Um, as much as I like something like The Raid 2, and I do, this is a movie that it it has a level of action that's that's just awesome to watch because i think bong jung ho is a very good visual director and he knows how to communicate his action sequences but it has puts a lot of kind of meaning behind what's going on as well based on just kind of some of the looks that chris evans is giving who doesn't get a lot to do in the earlier half of this movie but then develops as a character as you go on which is something i appreciate along with the other characters in the movie uh, like 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 Jamie Bell, who doesn't get a ton to do, but he, he I mean he's still there, and you get a sense of who this person is, along with a lot of the other members, such as Octavia Spencer, such as Ewan Bremner in his one hand, and then you get but then you get some of these wacky, wild villainous characters like Tilda Swinton you mentioned, but Alison Pill as the teacher in the children's section of the train is a trip. She has, this, <laughs> she, she has this amazing scene where she's kind of leading her class, and they're essentially being led as if they're Nazi youth, as they as they sing this song that, like, represents, like, their way of, way of, re- way of paying tribute to the, the, the leader of the, of the train, of the, of whatever it's called the train. Yeah, I forget
1: what the name of the, what the company is. Well, the
0: is. name, like... I can't remember the company, but Wilford.
1: Wilford, um, Wilford.
0: Yeah, 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 Um And just, there's a, there's a look where that she has at one moment where she's, kind of gives a close-up on her face as she's singing this song to these children. It's like, oh my God, <laughs> this is crazy, and, it's all
2: of it. and, and you it, still it, to... it is crazy but it's not without precedent there no, it are isn't. Yeah. like that yeah. that's the kind of thing that would happen it would want to indoctrinate the children into you know accepting this train conductor as this force of good
0: and you have all the you have the wild card character played by Song Kang Ho who i know from a lot of um, other korean films such as the the vengeance trilogy from park chan wook and other movies from bong joon ho actually from like the host and um, memories of murder like he he plays a character who's who helped design the the lock systems on the train, so he's an obvious asset and he has this kind of indifference about him that you explore throughout the movie that I really enjoyed and I really liked his interactions between him and his the actress who plays his daughter there's just there's just a lot there's a lot of characters here and I just loved all of this. I love this movie so yeah. I thought she was so engaging to watch
2: well uh, so, one of the things I loved that the uh, the part in the beginning with that had to do with you and. Remner 's character, mm-hmm. and like it was a very violent scene, but it was so creatively violent that it was like, "Wow, like I could truly totally appreciate like they're, they're not it 's not enough to just hurt people, they want to like creatively hurt people in ways that will like give you nightmares you know and and it's, it has to do with this disciplinarian that uh, Tilda Swenton plays and how she 's you know lording it over the train and and she has this wonderful monologue about a shoe. Which that that, that little soundbite that she gives that speech has got to be something that will be quoted in the future because it's it's brilliantly delivered.
4: Would you wear a shoe on your head? Of course you wouldn't wear a shoe on your head. A shoe doesn't belong on your head. A shoe belongs on your foot. A hat belongs on your head. I am a hat. You are a shoe. I belong on the head. You belong on the foot. Yes, so it is. In the beginning, order was prescribed by your ticket. First class, economy, and freeloaders like you. Eternal order is prescribed by the sacred engine. All things flow from the sacred engine. All things in their place. All passengers in their section. All water flowing. All heat rising pays homage to the sacred engine. In its own... Particular preordained position. So it is. Now, as in the beginning, I belong to the front. You belong to the tail. When the foot sees the place of the head, a sacred line is crossed. Know your place, keep your place
1: and certainly i appreciate the humor in that scene too which is uh you know they start translating like three different languages like no no, no there's no need for that and right. that kind we of just speaks time. to the class system right which is like hell like these guys they don't they don't speak anything other than english so there's no need for french or there's no need for for spanish and i like how the japanese guys just like okay well this altitude is like 107 degrees outside and probably just take five minutes so let's set the timer
0: there's a lot of aspects of dark humor in this movie for sure that go along with the you know very violent bloodshed that takes place, and even just the, the tone in general of this movie, it's, it's, a, it's a matter of being all over the place yet managed in my eyes. Like I never felt I never felt issue with the idea of the movie changing shape in what it's doing as it explores different aspects of this train area, I, I'd appreciate the be kind of the humor that plays in versus the, the stark action that plays in, then the drama to the more absurdist stuff. Like, it just felt like a... It's a very busy movie, but it and just felt handled the, well.
1: Yeah, and that's actually something that I sort of had issues with. Like, again, I appreciate everything that they were doing, but it was kind of just all over the place for me that... Like, again, I could go with it, because I've seen films where they they do these outlandish things, like, again, like the aquariums. Like, what? How does this even work? It just was totally strange for some for some of the stuff like when they first find uh, I forget his name but uh, the locksmith and it just you know oh this guy's like super crazy and he's he's kooky and and but they throw on something really creative like the the voice uh, decoder or the, or the language translator and I was like this is cool I you know I it's a goofy scene and this is like a goofy character but they they've got a lot of clever ideas here and I, that just kept me going but it, there is a lot of strange things that occur in every sequence so it
0: certainly isn't for everybody i think it works into what john was saying where the movie by having a full director's cut of this film you're not losing the personality that bong Joon ho is bringing to it now that doesn't mean that everyone's going to love this movie obviously but i think it it preserves its own identity because it's very korean like it feels that way it doesn't feel like it's been compromised or it's
5: been... right you can't i mean in, in different hands i think this could have been kind of a boring normal wide-release blockbuster for this year. Um, but instead, like, it, it's kind of the the anti, uh, I don't know, like, Transformers or, Aven- you know, not Avengers, but, you know, Marvel, where are these new blockbusters that kind of, like, are going to go film in China, so they do well in China. Like, this instead is actually, like, what the true international movie should be. Like, the cast is... It's kind of ridiculous how like interesting of a cast they put together. Just all these different people. I yeah, it's mean, a
0: mix of English, American, Korean, uh, no, other European persuasion. Like it's all over the place in terms of who's casting.
5: Yeah, out? and yeah. I think that that's, that's kind of a real happy thing yeah. about the movie. I, I guess in this in this world, I'm probably leaning a little bit more toward Abe, where it's it's probably like a, a seven five eight out of ten for me, rather yeah. than kind of like the instant classic. But I do, I don't know. I did. I really want to see it. And I do think it's just really cool. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's just kind of like, uh, I've been happy with this summer, uh, with some of these movies coming out. Like, I I actually go back to mood Indigo a little bit. And the fact that like, this was enough, these were two, those were two movies where like, I just like kind of like look over, like I, I watched both of those with Aaron and like, it's kind of like look over, like we just both like, like, Oh my gosh, this just happened. This just happened. This just happened. Like, like it it kind of brings back that like fun and surprising element to movies instead of like well, the world's gotta be blown up, or <laughs> you know like it, yeah. uh i i I like flights of fancy and I like uh and I definitely appreciate the art I appreciate the most is is weird tonally and and by weird I mean normal like i I don't think things are just all drama or all comedy or something like that. they are just kind of like a little bit more all over the map so I, in that way, I think this movie really does, but I do like that this movie does embrace its crazy all the way uh true yeah. <laughs> and through and through uh and also a lot of the actors get to do kind of a little bit of something out of their wheelhouse I would say uh you know even Chris Evans I mean. No, nah, I'm trying to think. Has he ever been brooding, Chris Evans? Do we call cap We wouldn't call Captain
0: America brooding. I world mean, Caps. Scott Pilgrim versus the World. He's brooding. <laughs> Sunshine. Sunshine, awesome. Sunshine's is a good example of him acting in a dramatic role. I would say I wouldn't say he's brooding necessarily, though. I don't know. Yeah. But now he, he,
5: I mean, he turns in. I don't know. I mean, would we call this his best performance? I I, I really like better. that sunshine. <laughs> performance.
0: I really like that sunshine performance, actually. And that, and I mean, I may joke about Scott Pilgrim, but I think he really commits to that role for the little well, time yeah. that he has in that movie. <laughs>
5: <laughs> but I mean, uh, in the end, uh, there were just a lot of wow moments in the movie that uh, just make it the technical achievements. It'd be interesting to see if it gets recognized, you know, down the road this year because. I mean, obviously, kind of, yeah, costume production, all that stuff. I would hope that it would get a little bit of Oscar love for that or something, because you're not really going to find a more realized world in a movie uh, this summer, at least for
0: the most part. Mm-hmm. I something I something I like about the fact that there's you know a big American cast in this movie and it has you know the Weinstein's behind it. It will never be remade as an American version <laughs> because it just can't. <laughs> it's already there. I don't have to worry about seeing that version of the movie by you know some random Hollywood director bringing it out, starring Jason Statham. Starring Jason Statham. <laughs> we got to make our way to the front. If yeah. there was a Jason Statham movie where he has to get through a train, I'd, I'd watch it right away. Actually, <laughs> 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 Crank Three. No, but um, if there was a there. Crank Three where it's all set on a train, I'd be there in a heartbeat. <laughs> <laughs> have you guys Frozen...
2: ever? Have you guys ever seen the Eric Roberts John Voight movie Runaway Train? Yes. Okay, I just thought of that movie when I was watching this. I mean, it's totally different, but thank, thank it you. does it does take a, it does it does take place aboard a train. True. Um,
1: this is going to be a callback to last week's episode where our friend the show Marcus was talking about Snowpiercer. But Chris Evans's little monologue toward the end of the film, when he's talking with uh, some folks, uh, actually the the, the door uh, make key maker guy. Uh, I thought that, that just brought a lot of depth to his character right there in that moment. I was like, wow, there's like Now I understand the scars on his arm and everything like that, and this is just really some really good acting here, so that's kind of where I sat on that. I had to be mum last week, because we I knew we were going to talk about it this week, but I, I did want to point that out.
0: And I, can, I don't want to go too far into what I said last week about that as well, but I do think Chris Evans is strong here, and I do continue to think that because he is Captain America, I think there's a purposeful aspect to him playing a character like this who... Had to do the unthinkable in order to survive and be the way that he is in comparison to a person like Captain America, who's so, you know, true to true to the spirit of the country that he's representing. That kind of thing. I think there's, I think there's a cleverness to the casting Chris Evans beyond just, hey, we need someone that you know can play this part. Oh, Chris Evans, you're there. Like, I think there's more, a little bit more to it than that. It might be speculation, but I think that's kind of buried there in the subconscious of casting this movie with with Captain America as the as Curtis. Mm. I I did enjoy the kind of I mean it's set all on a train obviously yeah. and I and I did I did think there's a good managing of making that continue to seem interesting obviously it comes from having so many different compartments on the train but even the you know the there's a whole centerpiece in the middle of this movie that 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 makes sense the centerpiece in the middle um involving a fight scene between all the bad the tailies and just like a, a Basically, extras from the Purge that are like all here like with, with masks on and nothing but things that will hurt you if you get hit by them and the, it plays with lighting in that scene, and there's such yeah. it's just a it's a really well done action sequence that uses a combination of slow motion and interesting cameras perspectives to keep you and you know keep you involved in this action that just I thought
2: was incredibly effective you're about when the lights go out, yes, yeah, that was a good not thing. the Ellie
1: Golding song <laughs> thank
2: you. <laughs> Well, we're gonna we can rescore this whole film.
0: <laughs> <We>
2: <laughs> <don't>, <laughs> nothing, <laughs> N- nothing but pop hits <laughs> in,
0: the, in the American remake of Snowpiercer, <laughs> starring Jason Statham. It'll start Drake. Now, what are you talking about? He's an actor. <laughs> It'll start the grassy's Drake. It'll be having. I,
2: I will say one thing that the CGI of the train on the outside, the external shots, could have been a little bit better. I I don't know. It, it They're just establishing shots, and they're not very crucial to the film but every once in a while they'll show a scene of the train plowing through the snow and and giving us a re- reminding us that this is what's happening on the outside and i thought some of those shots were not the best um but it it's a kind of a small uh, criticism
1: when they're shown the batch of cockroaches right
2: oh like in the thing you thought that was i don't know what it, the better way to show something like that would be
1: i don't know just another just another layer of
2: of animation maybe i don't know I guess. I mean, it's. Just I was appropriately of... disgusted, so I. It, I think the scene worked for me. But... Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh man, that's what they've been eating. It's the... protein. Yeah. yeah.
0: It's the, <laughs> I mean, it's the kind of thing that comes with being a movie made, you know, independently or you know, or outside yeah. the outside the Hollywood system as opposed to having a, the budget of a Transformers. Right.
2: Right. So then, my it's... my my uh, take would be to don't attempt those scenes. Then just you know, do what you can. You Fair know.
0: enough. I guess we could have seen the, the Wes Anderson version of that scene where it's just like a model train. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Adam assembly style. Yeah, and um, Alexander Desplat comes in for that bit before we get back to the Drake <laughs> and Ellie Goulding songs.
1: You're really rescoring this.
0: Yeah, we're, I'm telling you, we're going to cast it next. It's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> Throwback to our earlier games of cast this. Cast this, exactly. <laughs> I think that's all you have to say, really, about Then I think uh, Mark and I both love this movie, Abe, and John certainly appreciate the movie and would recommend it, I would say, right?
4: Oh, yeah, I would
5: recommend it, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the thing, is we're do- <laughs> we're essentially doing the podcast of, like, the side movies that, like, we wish were the real movies.
3: <laughs> we're getting
5: the real pushes. <laughs> yeah. so, like, it's like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm okay with or I mean, I'm okay <laughs> if we're weighting this against any other of the movies mm-hmm. in the summer. It's, like, not even close. Uh,
0: I mean, there's, but, some, there's some strong, big movies that are out there. I mean, we just talked about Dawn of the Planet of the Apes last week, which is quite good. Like How to Train Your Dragon 2, or... go um, give that moment a moment, at, too. At Edge of Tomorrow, or... Yeah, your, 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 I mean, Chef's not a big movie, but we'll make it big.
1: I think, I think I <laughs> <laughs>
0: Chef
1: is a, it's Chef a good Chef movie. Hall. It's a good yeah. movie. Yeah. Like, it's still out in a theater around me.
2: No, I think this summer is... I mean, I as far as box office is concerned, I know it's been a bit of a disappointment, but as far as good movies, I think this. I'm very pleased with this summer.
0: Yeah, I,
5: yeah. I agree. <laughs> so... <laughs> You know, I guess I'm, I'm, I'll be the contrarian and say it's been a, it's been a slow summer for me, but until these indie bursts, but I just didn't have, you know, we still got Guardians of the Galaxy coming. I want to see yeah. that. <laughs> Excited uh, about that too. We still have Let's Be Cops. I am like, very excited. You're the, one, you're
0: the one guy that's super on board of Let's Be Cops.
5: You are not on board with Let's Be Cops? I mean, I'm, a, be fair, I'm, I'm on board with
0: it as an August release do. comedy. That's what I'm on board with it as. Whatever. <laughs> I mean,
5: we had 22 Jump Street, you know. We had Neighbors. So I, I think it was a good summer
0: for comedies. I just didn't... It's been a good thing for Comedies Comedy sci-fi. Sci-fi, like, just straight up, like, action and comic movies have been all right. But I think sci-fi, it's been terrific. Between, yeah. Ed, between Edge, Tomorrow, and of the Planet, of the Apes, I mean, a...
5: Yeah, I just, I didn't get drawn to the theater quite as much. For some reason, I had to go see Transformers, uh, but.
0: For some reason, I like, the as, you, to as, help it. as in you willingly led, and you and me and you both enjoyed it to the extent that we could. I know, um, but but yeah, I thought this
5: was summer where I don't remember a summer where I had this many comedies I wanted to see. Usually, I'm scraping to see one great comedy, and instead there were like three or four that I was really looking forward to this summer. So I don't know. For me, that that's always a good thing because sometimes I worry about the comedy.
0: All right, so with all of those movies out of the way, let's um. Uh, is kind of wrapping up here, but let's talk about what we're going to talk about. Um, actually, hold on. No, I got to do Out Now presents what's out now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, movies. Can... Wait, hold on. No, I didn't even do. Flip about, what about the feedback? I completely skipped feedback. Oh my god, I meant to do that after the sponsor. Jesus. You're just keeping everyone on their toes, man. Yeah. Okay. Let me. All right. Let's get to our feedback.
1: Feedback. Feedback. Feedback.
0: Is where we go over the various answers and questions that we got on our Facebook page, slash out now podcast, where we ask many questions throughout the week and have our listeners fill in the answers and even ask us some questions to answer on the show. And, uh, Abe, you want to start this one up?
1: Absolutely, yeah. Our first question we asked to the audience was favorite sci fi films set in a single location? From the show and the voice, Jim Dietz writes, Alien, singular. Uh Danny Murphy writes, that's a tough one. Moon is definitely one the first one that comes to mind, but I don't know I know there has to be more. Uh Corey writes, Does Hadley's Hope count in Aliens? I have the Second Moon too. Uh Moon is a movie that Aaron and I both recommend to you go see. Ib Renee writes Pandorum. Patrick writes Pitch Black. Dan writes Stalker. Mike Jones writes Virus.
0: Being the one person that will support virus. Good job, Mike Jones. (laughs) (laughs) Bob
1: also writes Moon. Uh, Joshua writes, "Damn, I was also going to say Moon. A lot of Moon love." Yeah. Justin writes, "Predator." I didn't want to go into the forest for months after seeing this as a kid. And lastly, James writes, "Alien Mind.
0: I was expect I was expect to see Cube come up, and I'm not even a huge fan of Cube, but it was like there's movies that take place in one location. Cube seems like the sci-fi movies. It's like mm. Cube Cube seems like one that would easily come to mind. But glad to see so much Moon love because I do love Moon. Yeah. Um, favorite films that span a lengthy period of time. We were all over the place on answers to this question, but here we go. Rebecca has do the does the before trilogy count? Um then she also has better answer when Harry met Sally. Uh, Mike has Hot Tub Time Machine <laughs> uh, Joe Jans has Back to the Future. Uh, Kyle has The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Adam Gentry, friend of the show, has the Tree of Life. Scott has Citizen Kane. Marcus Robinson, friend of the show, has Atonement. Shelley has the color purple. Tammy wrote Watchman. Carl wrote Once Upon a Time in America, Philip has Forrest Gump, and Danny has Big Fish. all well, that one, City of God. City of God, that, that, that's, one too, that's yeah. definitely my pick. I was also expecting to see some Godfather love there, but no, that's not to be found apparently. Um, <laughs> yeah, City of God, thank you, John. That is definitely my pick. We also asked, what international filmmaker would you like to see make an American debut? Uh, Mark, I believe you had an answer for this question.
2: <laughs> well, I felt sorry because no one was answering it.
0: Yeah. You want to say what your? I can read them. Oh, sure. Your side, but you can say. Oh, uh, well, you're gonna
2: make me. You're gonna make me read these names. <laughs> you're not gonna say Mark, friend of the pod. So <laughs> yeah. So I put uh, Thomas Vinterberg, who did the hunt, and oh gosh, I can't even say his name, but he did. Uh, Blue is the warmest color. Abdulatif Kashish. <laughs> is uh, the best that I can do. So. <laughs>
0: Uh, Ruben has Asghar Farhadi of The Past and of Separation fame, and Philip has Hayao Miyazaki at Pixar. That'd be interesting. That would be
2: interesting. After he said yeah. he was retiring. He'd come back. He's going
0: <laughs> to yeah, make one more. Yeah, he's,
2: he's going to make one more. He's like he's, John Oh, He's <laughs> like Cher. He just yeah. keeps coming back. That, that exact
0: example, Cher. Cher. Yeah, he'd be he'd, them love after love after love after love. He'd make the American remake of Spirited Away. Yeah, of
2: I have heard Hayao Miyazaki say that he is the share of animation. So oh, okay, good. <laughs> that
0: would
1: make sense. <laughs> so now I'm expecting a comeback, or I guess a resurfacing.
0: I, if I could turn back time, I'd love to see that.
1: <laughs> Our next question is: uh, What would be a crazy way to travel around the entire world? Eric writes with a leprechaun and a unicorn horn in a blimp.
0: I gotta yes. say I like all of these answers, by the way.
1: <laughs> so did I, yeah. Friend of the show, Jose Cordova writes Unicycle. That'd actually be very difficult. Mercedes writes rolling. <laughs> George writes on a segue, straight Job style. Job from you know That's the pineapple. Statement. Statement. Matt Terrell writes through it.
0: That's my That'd... favorite answer. That one made me laugh. <laughs> through it. <laughs> That's a great one. <laughs>
1: Crenshaw writes, moonwalking, crazy but rad. Jessen writes, hot air balloon, I always thought that would be crazy. Philip writes, as Carl Pil- Pilkington's valet, which is a, it's a clever way of doing that.
3: For
0: fans of uh, Gervais, writes, they certainly know Carl. Yes. Yeah.
1: For roundest head on television. Mike writes, on the shoulder of Godzilla. I That's mean, what if you go to
0: the water? Does, you know, you'd be ready for it. Yeah, You're I packed guess. up for that trip. You know you got, you got, you know what's coming. That's true. We then had some questions asked to us, and you guys can feel free to you know, add in as well your input. Uh, but April asks – actually, this is a good question because I can answer this one. How could the Purge films have correctly utilized what was a really great concept for a movie? I would say by showing the day after. That's pretty much no. it.
1: <laughs> Clean up and all the uh, – showing,
0: showing the implications that take place when you have a world where crime is legal for just a certain period of time. Show what happens the next day. When when the various things happen and you're still living next to that guy that maybe killed your friend or something like that, what what happens next? <laughs> That's what I want to know. I want to know I want to know what that answer is, and then I can maybe accept this purge world a little bit more willingly. Interesting.
1: Danny writes, "What's worse, Planet of the Arns or Planet of the Abe's?" Abe's. Question. Yeah, I would have to say Planet of the Abe's. It's frozen.
0: <laughs> you agree? Apparently, <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's, it's frozen. You have to ride, you have to ride around in a giant train.
0: Oh, so you have a, defi- you, have a dis- you have a definition of a world that's called Planet of the Apes.
1: Yeah, yeah. I
0: assume it's like regular Earth except everybody's apes. Everyone's an abe? <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like planes or cars except everyone's abe.
1: We'd be lazy and efficient at the same time. I don't know what I'd do.
0: Okay. <laughs> uh, Corbin asks, where are the chems?
1: That's a huge callback.
0: To the, the born, <laughs> I don't know where uh, they are. The born Legacy. That's, I li- that made yeah. me laugh. That was, that was a good question. For you too, Jose.
1: And Philip asks us, how about a description of the Criterion Collection for dummies like me?
0: That's good. I can I can answer that one. I actually prepared an answer for this question. All right. Uh, the Criterion Collection. The Criterion Collection. It's basically a private company that deals with collecting the licenses of films deemed to be important classics, give or take occasional contemporary releases like the films of Wes Anderson, for example, or recent editions like The Great Beauty or The Blue Is the Warmest Color. Um, with the with the, having the licenses, uh, Criterion goes through the process of finding the filmmakers involved in an effort to produce restored versions of the films, making them look better than ever on. What used to be LaserDisc and then turned into DVD, and now is Blu-ray, obviously. And they also get to add commentaries and other behind-the-scenes features, retrospectives, what have you. Let alone additional content in the form of like essays and things like that that all come in one neat package. Because of having all those extra features and because they produce these in limited quantities, that's what makes these releases so expensive yet worth collecting. Granted, you have to enjoy these types of movies that they collect and distribute. So that's that's a sum up of what the Criterion Collection has to offer, and I'm. I'm a big fan of the. I have a whole shelf of Blu-rays and DVDs (laughs) devoted to Criterion Collection alone, and it's not the most thrifty of collections to have. (laughs) But luckily, Barnes and Noble has like their fifty percent off sale like every year, which uh, every couple times a year, along with their like buy buy one get one, you know their Bogo's, the the B and M Bogo's as I call them.
2: Aaron, do you have this Japanese film from 1977 called House? Yes, I do actually. Oh my gosh, that is so bonkers! Yeah. I saw it like I saw it last Halloween, I believe. Mm-hmm. It was it's it's very enjoyable. <laughs> Actually, that's
0: yeah, that's an, that's an understatement for <laughs> It's it'll, it'll, that's a sensory film it, for you, it, and
2: it's not the kind of film you would expect to be issued on Criterion, because I don't. I always think of it's going to be these sort of intellectual kind of things, and it's not. But uh, but it is fun.
0: Yeah, uh, some would argue the same for some paper it's Criterion Release, um Armageddon, which I don't because I think that movie's terrible, but for some reason
2: Armageddon.
0: <laughs> Armageddon and The Rock are both in the Criterion Collection. I'll give them The uh-huh. Rock. That's a God movie. <laughs> but Armageddon just baffles me. Right. <laughs> that is odd. Yeah. It's yeah, you know, it's Steve
1: Buscemi's finest.
0: But they have movies that no it's not. But they have movies that no, range not. from, you know, Kurosawa to obviously to Michael Bay to uh, to Robocop to the killer um, all, a lot. Of David Cronenberg's like, a, and Wes Anderson are like fixtures at Criterion. It's just a matter of one, and David Lynch for that matter as well. So it's, but yeah, it's a it's a collection I enjoy. Um, Izzy asks, what? This is a good question for all of us. What is your favorite film genre? I do to let Abe go first on this one.
1: Uh, I'd have to say it's a uh, dramedy.
0: I hate that word. <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> it's it's either drama or documentary. Uh, those two are my favorites. It's not dramedy. Okay. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I, uh, I tend to lean on dark comedy. That's uh, that's sci-fi gets my interest very quickly as well. But I mean, I I tend to lean lean on dark humor, that's, I mean, which is I think why Tarantino is among my favorite filmmakers currently working.
2: Uh, Mark, I I probably go with just drama. Like a real heavy drama is probably my favorite. John, uh,
0: uh, I'm gonna go
5: like surrealist. <laughs> I like really out there and weird things. Um, then you need to see
0: House. Yeah.
5: <laughs> That's What's the perfect that?
2: callback to that film.
5: I'm not even sure what you're referring to
0: either. Oh, it's, it's, it's you a, must check it out. It's a trippy 70s Japanese horror movie, horror in quotation marks. Okay, all right. If you, have Hulu, if, if you have Hulu Plus, I believe they have a lot of criterions on there, just saying. <laughs> not a sponsor yet. Yeah. <laughs> but that, uh, that concludes our at-now feedback.
1: Feedback, feedback, feedback.
0: So let's uh, move on now. Let's get to Out Now Presents What's Out Now. These are movies that are coming out on DVD and Blu-ray and streaming this week. And we have a host of what are probably the t- some of the worst movies of the year, <laughs> actually, here this week. Uh, first up, we have Sabotage, which was previously my worst film of the year, next to Yes. Yeah. Uh, then we have uh, Transcendence.
1: Uh, one of yeah, a- definitely pass. I still want to see no, like-
0: Oh, my God. No, don't see it. It's horrible. <laughs>
1: Come on. Well, I mean I guess you could I guess you could watch it if it's on D V D or something like that. But don't why, why don't would you
0: do... say that Abe after putting it on your worst movie of the year? Why would you be like,
1: you know I mean, what? Like, I guess you could see it. If, <laughs> if Tom Sudden paid the dollar fee for Redbox and he just sat there as, you know, a bystander,
2: yeah, you know, you would
1: move around and do stuff and you can just watch it from like, you know, every every fifty so you, minutes.
0: You, you've, you've stated this movie as your worst it's movie of the year. Let's let's so put My, your, your second worst. Fine. You put it as one of your worst movies of the year, but you would still recommend someone take the time to oh, view it in you know, some form. John must really go see it. He can see how terrible it is. We live in a world where there's just an endless supply of things you can watch, and you're saying, I guess you could watch this thing that I hated. <laughs> Don't watch it. Okay. <laughs> uh, then there we have... <laughs> Shut up, Mason. <laughs> Next up, we have Heaven is for Real, which I did not see. Did anyone see Heaven is for Real?
2: Oh, I saw that.
0: Was it any good?
2: Well, no, I didn't care for it a whole lot, but, it, uh, yeah, I don't know.
0: I, I know <laughs> there's that kind of religious following that, you know, goes for these movies, but.
2: Well, it's, and it, my objections to it actually weren't that. It was that the the child says that he's, he's seen Jesus, and then everyone who are believers tried to convince him that he didn't. And I didn't understand why he's bringing you proof that what you believe in is true. And everyone was like, no, you couldn't have. So I didn't buy it on the just the basic level that this child is basically giving you proof that what you believe is true. And everyone was like, no, you couldn't have seen Jesus. So I didn't. It it was like a weird like take on it. It was like they they were trying to introduce, uh, you know, a. An issue into a film that really the, there shouldn't have been an issue. Does it feature a likable Greg Kinnear? He's good, actually. He is actually. He gives a nice performance. All right. He's, oh, the best, he's the best. He's the best thing in the film.
0: And uh, lastly, we have Tyler Perry presents Single Moms Club, which I also yes! did not get around to seeing. I, I feel like friend of the show Jordan Grout might have seen it though, so maybe we'll get his <laughs> opinion on Probably. it someday.
1: I'm gonna pass on that one too.
0: Okay. What's uh, going on next week? Next week we're talking about Lucy. This is Lucy. the new film with <laughs> Sky with Diamonds. This is the new film starring Scarlett Johansson, directed by, Luke, written and directed by Luke Besson. And yeah, that's the uh, that is the plan for next week, which I know is going to be insanely busy for me because I'll be wrapping up Comic Con stuff. So yeah, we'll have Lucy up. We'll have a, a bonus episode for uh, Comic Con, and we have another commentary coming as well in August, Woo! which um, I know Abe and I are we're working on the plans for recording that currently, and that should be quite a fun one. So with all that out of the way, I think that's going to do it for this week's episode of Out Now with Aaron and Abe. You can find more of my work on my personal blog, where You can find all my written movie reviews, as well as at whysoblue.com for all my blue reviews. And I'm also currently writing up the TV series Falling Skies and The Bridge on TheYoungFolks.com. And you can follow me on Twitter, at Aaron's PS4. Abe?
1: You can find more fun stuff at WalrusMoose.blogspot.com and Twitter.com slash WalrusMoose. Hashtag SDCC.
2: Mark Hoban. Uh, You can find more of my work on my personal blog, FastFilmReviews.com, and you can also follow me on Twitter, Mark underscore Hoban. And Jonathan.
5: Uh, I mean, you can find occasional banter, but mostly NBA trade-related retweets (laughs) at (laughs) (laughs) j 234 vd um, or you can find my normal newspaper writing at gazettes with an S, dot com. I just completed a three part series, uh, kind of LA County and the human sex trafficking trade called "Stopping the Trade." That is pretty eye opening, and I'd encourage anybody to go check that out. I read
0: that entire article, and it's very good. I, uh, it's a good read. I'll I'll link that in the show notes actually. Uh, see as it has everything to do with Boyhood and Snowflakes. <laughs> I was going I, I to
5: say. I'm like, let's let's finish up this jovial movie thing. <laughs> um,
0: okay, you can find all the other episodes of Out Now, Theron and iTunes and at Stitcher, as well as at com. We can find this show, along with all the other shows on that podcast network, including the Walking Dead TV podcast, the season finale episode of 24, the Jack and Chloe adventure cast that myself, Brandon, and Maxwell host, uh, friends of the show, of course, and... Uh, other fun shows about comics and games and cool stuff like that.
1: You can find our episodes over at outnow.podomatic.com as well as soundcloud.com slash outnowpodcast.
0: Feel free to email us your thoughts about Boyhood, Snowpierce, or any other of the smaller movies that you might have seen this summer at outnowpodcast at gmail.com.
1: You can also interact with us over at facebook.com slash outnowpodcast, or you can tweet at us at twitter.com slash outnow underscore podcast.
0: And you can follow us on Tumblr, outnowpodcast.tumblr.com, and feel free to use the voicemail line 972 798 three eight three zero you can leave us a voicemail and you know ask us a question or some feedback or whatever and we might be able to play it on the show for you yeah so with all of that out
2: of the way john and mark thank you very much for joining us this evening thank you 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 gave us arguably the two best reviewed films of the year to talk so
0: yeah well
2: (laughs) it worked out
5: my pleasure to haunt this podcast (laughs) (laughs) that image is coming soon podcast phantom (laughs)
0: <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think that's going to do it this week So until next time when we see Just what happens when you use 100% of your brain That's going to do it for episode of the podcast <laughs> So until next time, so long And goodbye Started
5: from the bottom, now we're here Started from the bottom, now my whole team here Started from the bottom, now we're here Started from the bottom, now the whole team here started from the bottom, now we're here Started from the bottom, now my whole team in. Yeah, started
4: from the bottom, now we here. Started from the bottom, now the whole team fking yeah. here. I done kept you real from the jump. Living at my mama's house, we dog you every month, yeah. I was trying to get it on my own. Working all night, traffic on the way home. And my uncle calling me like, where you at? I gave you the keys, so you bring it right back, yeah. I just think it's funny how it goes. Now, I'm on a road, half a million for a show, and we started from the bottom, now we're here. Started from the bottom, now my whole team f- here. Started from the bottom, now we're here started, bottom, now whole team here. started from the bottom, now the whole team here. Started from the bottom,
5: now we're here. Started from the bottom, now the whole team f- here. Started from the bottom, now we
0: here. Started from the bottom, now the whole team here. what's I story tell stories about the men, probably some of the trailer her boyhood let me go
1: i don't wanna be your hero put up the barrier <laughs> you're
0: really nailing this trailer eh? me...
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> i don't know how the rest of it goes though
0: or i guess the last time was just like
1: what do you wanna do mason what do you wanna be
2: that's pretty good Yes. <laughs> that, that might be the blooper right there. There you go. <laughs>
5: I don't even know if I ever saw a trailer for it. Yeah, I, I, I
2: actually avoid trailers at this point. I saw so. the
0: trailer after I saw the movie, and I got emotional. <laughs> I was like, oh my god. <laughs> and I'm like, we going over that kid I followed. Abe, <laughs> uh-huh. hey, I'm going to call you back real quick because you're lagging a bit. Okay. All right. Hold on. Do, 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 do. How's it working now? sound fine to me. All right, testing. Let me, let me say yay, and you say nay. Yay. Nay. There we go. Okay. Right. <laughs> That's the ultimate test, right Fantastic. there. Fantastic. <laughs> Done.
3: <laughs> All right. Let's, um,.